Hey there, listener. Did you know that for the price of four-fifths of a $5 footlong, you can join the Yeah No Yeah Patreon? We do an extra mini-soda every month, along with Patreon-exclusive polls and other tidbits that we can't fit into the regular episodes. Hope to see you there. On with the show. Hi, I'm Katie. And no, that wasn't me in your bushes watching you change. Forget about it. Hi. I'm Dr. Scott, and I'm pretty sure that I'm being stalked by Chris Hemsworth. He calls late at <laughs> night from a blocked number, and he doesn't say anything, but I can tell he's breathing with an Australian accent. Hi, I'm Dr. Shiloh, and I once stalked Fred Durst, so you can take my doctorate away now. <laughs> hi, hi, I'm Molly, and this podcast is coming from inside your house, and we're all standing right behind you. Welcome to Yeah No Yeah. We're so, we're so excited today to have two very special guests. You may have heard Dr. Shiloh already uh, on our uh, on a recent episode we did about uh, to catch a predator. Um, we've been interacting with them since the, almost the beginning of our uh, time on Twitter as podcasts. They're our favorite podcast. They're from yep. LA, not so confidential. Uh, they're both real doctors. They're both real uh, psychologists. I know I've said real twice now. It sounds like it's fake, but no, they really are. They're doctors and they have uh, their psychologists and uh, Dr. Shiloh is a forensic psychologist and Dr. Scott is a clinical psychologist and they've both worked in different capacities alongside law enforcement. So they have a true crime podcast and unlike their as anyone who listens to podcasts knows, there's been this massive wave of uh, true crime podcasts on the scene, uh, by, by mostly hosted by people who are interested in true crimes, but maybe don't have any degrees or actual expertise. Uh, and LA Not So really stands out from the crowd in that it's hosted by people who really know what they're talking about. So we've recommended them a million times already, but if you haven't listened already, this episode will definitely convince you to. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Katie, why don't you give us a little intro, um, or actually, no, Doctor, sorry, Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh, give us a little spiel about your background and yes. um, yeah, how you got into uh, the true crime podcast world. Uh, that's Dr. Shiloh's fault. Um, yeah, <laughs> we we've been we've been really close friends for 11 years now. We met during our internships. We had both gone to different schools, didn't know each other at all and um, really hit it off, like really mm -hmm. within the first about 20 minutes of sitting down at our desks. It was pretty cool. Um, mm -hmm. And that's cool. We did a, a year really intensive internship together for no money, like literally working full time uh for free, which is unfortunately what happens in psychology in the U S and, uh, then Shiloh stayed at that company. I went to work in, uh, state prison. And then a few years later, we, I mean, we've always, our families have been friends the entire time. Like we're, we, we go on trips together. We hang out together. Mm -hmm. It's really great. But, uh, then Shiloh got a job in downtown LA about three blocks from me in a different capacity working with law enforcement. We both work with law enforcement agencies, but in different capacities. And we were walking back from lunch one time and it was like, what, almost two and two and a half years ago. Three years ago and yesterday. 
Dumbass. What? Oh, oh my god. <laughs> but uh, Shiloh said, "I think we should start a podcast," and I was like, "No, no, no, we're not going to start a podcast. No, absolutely not. <laughs> never, and, never." And by the time we got a quarter of a way down the block, we had already come up with the name and the idea. And her and Shiloh's reasoning was exactly what you guys were talking, what you were saying during the intro is that there are some really fantastic true crime podcasts out there. And there are some great psychology-based podcasts, but there are no working forensic psychologists, or there weren't at the time, uh, that actually, you know, worked in the industry, worked in the profession with law enforcement. And so that was, that was it, you know. We, we have a different format. Like, we have friends that, you know, put out uh, 40 minutes every single week and sometimes twice mm-hmm. a week. And Shiloh and I do like 90 minutes um, yeah, every two weeks. It's just, so, it would be too impossible with the work we do. And we like to be in the same yeah. room and get together and we live kind of far apart. So yes, we can do yeah. for now. And uh, Dr. Shiloh, you've worked closely with uh, offenders um, in a, in a jail context, is that how you say um, that? No, actually, Scott worked in the jails. I worked with That's offenders okay. uh, once they transitioned back out to the community. So thank God I've right. never worked in a jail myself. I thought I wanted to do that. Actually, Scott, remember you and I toured Chino Prison together when we were students? <laughs> it's it's amazing I ended up at working at a prison after seeing because Chino is like, like you know, it's where like Snoop Dogg goes this, it, and raps about things like yeah. that. And it's falling apart. It's just mm. this crumbling building. Oh, God. Yeah, it's, it was brutal. I was like, like oh. yeah, you can't pay me enough to work inside here. If I can't, <laughs> wow, I can't bring yeah. my cell phone and I can't wear jeans, then I don't want it. So out in the community <laughs> with uh, mostly sex offenders who are transitioning and, uh, you know, need to be monitored into treatment. That's what I did for about the last decade before I moved into law enforcement psychology. Right. Okay. Yeah. So really. So they're the real deal. That's all I'm going to say. I pretend to be a doctor all the time on this show, um, but we brought them on. Believe me, Katie, (laughs) we work with, we work with some colleagues that pretend to be psychologists as well. It's a common problem. This is actually an intervention. Um, But yeah, so we really wanted to have you all on for this episode that we're doing about celebrity stalkers, which obviously uh, in the realm of fandom, that's something that uh, is really uh, sort of the darkest and weirdest end of fandom. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you all already did an episode called Stalking the Crime of the 90s, where you go into some really interesting, uh, pivotal cases in the uh, true crime world where you talk about the murder of Rebecca Schaefer, who was an actress who was murdered by a fan at her home in the 80s. And you talk about how that crime led to, uh, and he had found her address through a private detective, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And so that sort of, that case changed the laws around what information is publicly available, which is something that I want to get into a lot (laughs) in this episode. And then you also talked about Tatiana Tarasov, who was a 20-year-old Berkeley co-ed who was murdered um, by a suitor after he rejected her. And uh, he, he had the murderer had informed his psychologist beforehand that that was something he was planning to do. And that gave us the Tarasov case, which um, really formed, uh, formed the laws around the duty to inform. Yeah, the duty. Yeah. Right. 
the duty to warn. And so that's what, so their episode, uh, you all should really go listen to if this is a topic that interests you because they really get into the nitty gritty of how some of these um, laws formed around stocking. Um, but we wanted to talk about um, so some of the celebrity stocking cases that I have come across and uh, come across in my research of other celebrities. And that I just find really fascinating. And then Katie, you also wanted to, you had kind of a more personal anecdote that you wanted to get into. Yeah, we'll get into it as it goes, but I wanted to, I think the doctors agree, give like a little trigger warning for this one. Mm. So like I, this episode, I always want to give people a chance to tune out if this doesn't appeal to you. Um, I was stalked and harassed by an ex. But I'm I'm fully comfortable diving into this episode. I already talked to Molly about it. Um, especially I listened to LA Notso's stalker episode before and then again today to kind of get myself into the zone. And you know, it's stuff that it's not just celebrities, it's like mostly not celebrities who deal with stalking and harassing as they stated on their episode. And a lot of the times it's women and former lover. I'd forget you intimate partner, I forget what you guys the what you used on the episode, but um, that's like the most common. So obviously trigger warning, I've been through it. We'll talk a little bit about probably as it, down the road, but um, yeah, guys, you're warned. If you want to log thing. out, log out. Yeah. <laughs> it is like, it. I feel like most women have had this experience at some point in their life where some creep just won't leave them alone. It's astonishingly common. But as I was reading about celebrities, I was like, Oh my God, like mm -hmm. some celebrities, it's like, it's like a revolving door of creeps that are just always surrounded. And it's an aspect of celebrityhood that you just don't think about that much. Right. So um, the first, uh, the first case that I wanted to talk about just to sort of get us started was I read uh, a recent news report. This is from 2019. Uh, a 26-year-old man in Tokyo named Hibiki Sato was arrested after attack attacking a pop star outside of her apartment building. And he had found her apartment building by looking at her selfies and zooming in on her pupils and looking at the reflection oh of her my god! and comparing that to what is on Insane. To what is on <laughs> and that's that coming from a, a technical term. <laughs> it's not just us saying. Ow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, almost can... like, that's almost the level. I mean, you know, and don't fuck with cats, like the level when they just, you know, right. the guy did the geolocating by, you know, zooming in on pictures. But I didn't even know that even high, I didn't realize high def cameras could take that kind of quality mm. photo. That's bizarre. I remember seeing that on old episodes of CSI where they'd always be like, zoom and in, enhance, enhance. <laughs> <laughs> on, people, on people's eyeballs. And back then, I remember reading something like, this is not true. It can't happen. But now it yeah. can. There, there is like okay. a very popular meme that it's like zoom in on your man's eyes to see if he's cheating. <laughs> it's like if he's looking at his phone, like who he's texting. <laughs> so, oh I, you know, people know about this. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, Hibiki Sato was suffering from what uh, Dr. Shiloh and uh, Dr. Scott have told us is uh, called erotomania. 
Okay, is that correct to say? Yes, yeah, I, I think we can say that, especially because she was a pop star. Um, well, you know what? I want to take that back. I Obviously, we don't know about his delusion. All the information that I've really seen is just how he went about stalking her, but... I did see that... I did see that he molested her. Like, it was a sexual assault. Okay, okay. Um, so, erotomania, aside from any assault or violence, is really just a, delu- a, a specific delusional disorder. So, okay. meaning that that person believes that either the celebrity is in love with them or that they are in a um, The celebrity through them, different types. Obviously, you know, they're exposed using that as communication to send them messages or let them know where they're going to be, things like that. And so it's a very specific form of delusional disorder, which is fixed, which mm-hmm. can not treat very well. They usually don't even come to treatment um, unless it's causing some distress to them. And that's what they're coming for, not their delusion. So it's really difficult to deal with uh, professionally. Um but it, it's it's pervasive. This this is not something that there's a cure for that it's going to go away. But we see it a lot with celebrity, right, Scott? Yeah, and um, just building on what you were saying is that the treatment options are very limited because the the general approach would be to give the individual um, an antipsychotic medication, and you know, antipsychotics aren't magic bullets the majority of the mm-hmm. time. What it will do for somebody who has like auditory and visual hallucinations is it'll turn down the volume or it'll, it will sometimes if someone with um, delusions, it will, it will allow them a little bit of entry into insight to go, maybe this isn't real, but that's rare. You know, unfortunately it's like when, when somebody has got a fixed delusion, it's, it's really hard to work with. Wow. Damn. It's yeah, so that's wild so, to me yeah. how much your brain can betray you. It's yes. really yeah. Oh, yeah. hard to think about. And a lot of it's people very are hard. I agree. are high functioning. And and the majority of delusions aren't all that crazy. I mean, I've I've treated a couple recently where it's like, ah, eh, this could be happening. You know, this this person's wow. spouse could be cheating on them with all of their colleagues. which is what we would call that's a that's a non-bizarre delusion you know it's not that i mean that is completely within the realm of possibility but then you know you you try and you do reality checks and and teach them but what shiloh's um use of the term high functioning too is also what makes you know a good portion of uh stalkers so dangerous because it's not like they're someone with schizophrenia who's disorganized and can't Mm. really can go through life in a mannered and organized way um these people are highly organized may hold jobs for years at a time may be successful in some areas of their life and they can be successful in using the internet and all these open source areas to find people like taylor swift's address or i mean it's it's frightening how much information you can find in just a couple of keystrokes. That actually segues beautifully into the first, um, into the first celebrity that I wanted to talk (laughs) about, which is Taylor Swift. Uh, And and Taylor Swift does have a 
shocking number of stalkers or maybe it's not shocking it's probably not shocking to people who i feel like it's not people. shocking yeah with that well, i mean she has that I mean, many yeah given, given the level of her celebrity yeah her yeah, reach is far yeah okay well well i did not know uh before i started researching this like you were saying how easy it is to find where she lives um she um she recently um on, C- on an episode of CBS Sunday Morning, uh, Swift talked about splitting time between her homes in Nashville, New York, Rhode Island, and London. And she said she tries to be conscious of uh, not ever really saying where she is since all of her addresses are on the internet. And I checked this. I was like, where does Taylor Swift live? And it does pop right up. Um, there was an episode, I mean, not an episode, there was an article uh, on a website called money.com that says, see the block where Taylor Swift has dropped 50 million on three apartments. And wow. that tells you like where in Manhattan it is. <clears throat> and it just seems like I'm so, uh, I was so intrigued by this phenomenon. Um, uh, I wanted to talk also a little bit about the actual stalking. Um, she actually, uh, also said in an interview or in an essay that she wrote for Elle magazine um, that her fear of violence and all these dudes who show up at her homes uh, has gotten uh, so extreme that she carries quick clot, which is an army grade bandage dressing with her, which is for gunshot and stab wounds. Holy shit. Um, and she said, you get enough stalkers trying to break into your house and you kind of start prepping for bad things. Um, and then one day after that interview was published in L, her stalker Roger Alvarado was arrested for once again breaking into her New York apartment. She wasn't home. The past couple of break-ins that I've read about, she hasn't been home. So she sort of needs to have four homes. Like, I'm not going to hold that against her. Um, and he had been arrested twice for breaking into her apartment and had spent a short sit in jail right before this for breaking into her house 30 days earlier. Uh, And during one break-in, I read that he showered in her apartment and slept in her bed, and she has an order of protection against him. So that was another thing that really fascinated me about a lot of these stalkers is how persistent they are. Like, he's gone to jail for it. He's, um, And that's something you brought up in your episode, that, like, a lot of times these restraining orders and legal action taken against these people just doesn't seem to do a whole lot. Yeah, it's terrifying. I mean, when you hear that she's carrying that stuff around that we associate with, you know, maybe the military having to use and I'm not I don't think it's in her purse. I'm sure her security team has it. And I may or may not be friends with someone that is part of Taylor Swift's security team. Um, So but man, she needs I mean, if you think about yeah, all this what can she do to protect her? And um, mm. I don't know. It's it's kind of crazy to me that, you know, does she have to have 24-hour security even at her homes when she's not there? Because how the hell does this guy get onto the property and it's not, like, seen on a camera right. or, you know, any of that? There's just got to be so many. To shower and be in her bed is, like, ha- how? And I feel like we always hear about that, too, with celebrities, that they the person sneaks yeah. in, showers, and gets a and yeah, something about that where it's like the person just feels like they're at home and they're in this yeah. relationship yes. with this person, and it's, it's part not of the delusion. Normal, right? Those right. are what those are things you do in your own home. 
so it's part of just exactly what Scott just said, part of the whole delusion and the fantasy and, and all of that. So it's safe. Is it safe to say like with that, like what Molly was saying, like none of like the prison stints, none of that affects them because I guess the delusion is so strong that like, they're like, Oh, I went, but she still wants me around. Like it's other, is it, could it be like them thinking other people want, I don't know. You don't probably don't want to like make an assumption, but that doesn't click with them that prison time and like restraining orders. Like it's the delusion that's so heavy that they're like, Oh, it doesn't matter. I still want to be near her. Well, for one thing, I mean, not to, okay. I'll, I want to just to comment a little bit on restraining orders. Restraining orders are yeah. very important. If anyone's in the position of being stalked or, or harassed, then you have to go file a restraining order. Just if, if, no, yes. if you go, if your listeners get nothing else from this episode, you have to get it done. Now, is it anything more than a piece of paper? It's a, it's a piece of paper. You know, if somebody's coming at you and banging on your door, you know, you're waving the, the paper at them is not mm-hmm. going to make any difference. However, what it does is it lays a groundwork for your legal protection as you go through the process. And that's something I swear three times a week, I'm on the phone with a victim explaining that to them and they just don't get it. So, but it's to, to your um, term about the, the prison. I mean, look, if somebody's like delusional and they get to, sent to prison, it's going to have very little effect. I mean, there mm-hmm. are some cases, there are some few cases where somebody has a level amount of insight or they're so high functioning that they're like, yeah, you know, Kim Kardashian is sending me telepathic messages that she wants me to come mm-hmm. live with her, but I've been arrested three times and my make, I'm making my mom cry. So sometimes there is a, oh, a logic wow, yeah. process that will kick in, but that's very rare in the more hard case, more hardcore cases. Wouldn't you say, say Charlotte? Yeah, yeah they've got an answer for everything when you challenge them, you know, even oh, with God, the non-bizarre. Yeah. Um, wow. So just like going past, um, hypothetical example I gave you, if someone thought their spouse was cheating, they may have a um, follow their spouse around. And they might come back to me for a session and I'll say, okay, so we hired this company, you know, what evidence did they find? Well, you know what? They're not the greatest company and they haven't been able to capture anything. So I, I think I'm going to dump them because they're not great. So they, they're sort of shifting wow. their thinking and their justifications to what doesn't fit delusion. And one of the things that's a hallmark of delusional disorder versus schizophrenia, which is so confounding is that, with schizophrenia, a lot of times delusions will be part, you know, false beliefs will be part of schizophrenia. That if you get the right combination of medication and a really secure environment, you know, you can get that individual to have a little bit of insight into like, oh, you know, maybe those voices aren't real. Um, but with delusional disorder, the thing that is so difficult is, like Shiloh was saying, if you have to be so careful about challenging the delusion because if you go one iota over, then you're, you now become wrapped in their delusional belief system as part of someone who's against them. Like, Oh, you're part of the ones that have Mm -hmm. been listening in and feeding uh, the secret agents, all that information, you know? So it's, Mm. it's a tightrope we walk in dealing with those individuals. 
There was actually a, uh, the next person I want to talk to um, actually has components of both of those topics you just mentioned where she had um, schizophrenia and a delusional disorder. Do you all remember hearing about David Letterman stalker oh, yeah. Margaret Mary Ray? I was in college. I mean, that's how old oh, I wow. am. And it, yeah. was, it was a big deal. <laughs> it was a, it was a really yeah. big deal. And I mean, but go ahead. You did the intro, but I have like, I thought that's oh, no. a fascinating case. Yeah, no, I tell I wanted you I wanted you to tell us like what you remember. So, you know, I mean, this was an undergrad and I was a young dumbass. So all I remember, <laughs> like, you know, Letterman was a big part of of college life. If you were in, in the 80s, like it's like we stayed up. Oh. And we were, oh, yeah, we were drinking. He was edgy and he was edgy and hip, you know, and. That is okay. That is just such a difficult thing to wrap my mind around. Um, because when I first read about this, I was like, David Letterman, I know. what a choice I to be erotically obsessed like, hmm. with. Well, I mean, he wasn't, you know, I mean, he was never, you know, what you would call classically good looking by any, any metric, no. but wickedly funny and way more, you know, edgy in his early mm. years than he before he became so mainstream. But um, okay. I remember him doing his top 10 lists and he would, because his stalker was at Mar- Margaret Ray, that she mm-hmm. was so much yeah. in the news at that time, he would kind of make jokes about it. Now, they weren't cruel jokes. I mean, looking back mm-hmm. on them, you can look at transcripts. They weren't cruel. And he never mentioned her name. Um, <clears> I do <throat> know that like some of the family members, you know, to this day are not happy about it, but it's like, you know, that was a gazillion years ago and it the the stalking phenomenon was such so unknown at the time people didn't know what to do with it right you know who's this who's this crazy woman that's like everywhere i turn right yeah and it's and it's also like easy to imagine how um that in the 80s especially i could see how her being a woman would make it so that it was just taken absolutely seriously she also also, David Letterman has said in interviews that he never found her scary or, yeah. or didn't usually find her scary. She would show up like around his property, but he said that whenever he would see her, she would be running away. <laughs> and she would leave of- like cookies in his foyer. So it's like, I think to him, he was just like, she feeds me. Yuck, yuck, yuck. And they would make yeah. a joke about it. <laughs> Well, he t- he did say he did say that the only time he was scared of her was uh, he was in bed with his girlfriend oh my God. and he sat up to see her in his hallway. And he said, all right, that's a that's a, that's a bit mm-hmm. much. Um, but she was also found sleeping on the tennis courts at one of his Connecticut properties. And in 1988, she was arrested for stealing his Porsche. And when she uh, when she was stopped, she said that she was David Letterman's wife. Story. And that's her why she had his Porsche. So incredibly <laughs> heartbreaking, though. You know, her diagnosis. Yeah. And it was a long standing right. disorder family. And, you know, her two brothers had killed themselves um, in their 20s when they had their psychotic breaks. And then she lived with hers much longer before she ended up taking her own life. But it, it when you read that yeah. New York Times article, it's heartbreaking the suffering that the entire family has been through. And her dad, her dad was diagnosed with, I mean, you know, they, they play, that article is pretty old and they play pretty concretely with the diagnosis and they keep calling it schizophrenia. What it Mm -hmm. likely Mm -hmm. was in the family was what we call schizoaffective disorder, which is a combination of a psychotic disorder 
and a mood disorder because she was exhibiting grandiosity and impulsivity mm-hmm. that is really a hallmark of like someone with bipolar disorder. So it's, oh. it, it's a, it's yeah. a rough combination. And, but also the, and the stats, you know, if you have the highest stats for, for um, the genetic predisposition uh, or occurrence in someone is if you have a twin that is diagnosed, but if you have even a fraternal or a, if you have a, a sibling and a parent, it's like you're you're hitting between you know thirty to sixty percent likelihood that you, it's going to exhibit in you someday. Wow. I mean, you know, luckily there's a cutoff. Like if you make it to the end of your twenties, you're generally okay. But yeah, that poor family, yeah. like Shiloh was saying, that I you just feel for the, the tragedy of the situation. That family was just cursed in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in that New York Times article, which is called "Behind Jokes: Life, Pain, and Delusion." Um, Wait, sorry, what was that? <laughs> that wasn't it. That was like... That's a the, beautiful article you just thing. made up. <laughs> the Dr. Scott Behind story. The jo- <laughs> 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 Behind the jokes, a life of pain and delusion. For Letterman Stalker, mental illness was family curse, curse and scarring legacy. And uh, in that article, uh, her daughter made two comments that I thought were really interesting. One is that she had uh, chosen not to have children because she was so um, nervous about passing that on. And she also, um, I thought it was really sad. Um, She said, right now, I'm not embarrassed of who my mother was. I'm embarrassed of the society I live in. She was a sick woman and people made it a joke. Yeah. 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 So very, the family's going to have their own victimization indirect victimization of her Mm -hmm. how she was treated but you know i i can definitely this is one Mm -hmm. drawn i I can see letterman saying hey it was a part of my life and i joke about everything um but you know i can't imagine what it's like oh yeah the daughter of a severely mentally ill either Yeah, and also you can see it from her daughter's point of view because she said, like, she looks so much like her mother. She yeah. People have always had an yeah. attitude toward her where they're sort of waiting to see if she's going to go down that same route. You know, but, we yeah. also, to just briefly talk to a, 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 a sort of a bigger issue in the U.S., which is something that it's particular to the job that I work with working for a mental health organization in collaboration with law enforcement, is that You know, we used to have this amazing countrywide um, or, you know, state hospital system across the entire country. And did some bad things happen? Absolutely. I mean, they were not run well um, and they ate up enormous portions of uh, state budgets. But dismantling it is not the answer. And we are now, you know, especially our large areas like Los Angeles and San Francisco and New York and Philadelphia and Detroit that have high dense populations. We have an enormous homeless, mentally ill population that has nowhere to go, you know, and it's also about issues of freedom. Like, do you take away someone's right? Do they have a right to be mentally ill? Well, you absolutely do have a right to be mentally ill, but then we do you have the right to harm yourself? Do you have the right to harm someone else? Do you have the right to allow yourself to become so gravely disabled that you just literally die alone in your apartment or alone in a tent on the street? And it's, it's a, it's a really 
awkward and Mm -hmm. delicate legal issue that it's like balancing someone's civil rights with the rights of the community. And also like just, I think the thing that's left out of the debate is compassion. I mean, these people are ill and, you know, Mm -hmm. if if we had a system that actually was, was um, focused on working, then what we could do is, we could help rehabilitate people. If you contain people for a couple of years on medication with treatment and then have a slow graduated process of getting them back out in the community, it can work, but nobody's advocating for that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's, that's my soapbox. That's I apologize for reading. No, and that's stand why on I'm it. voting. <laughs> that's why I'm voting for Dr. Scott for president Damn. in 2020. Jeez. Oh, we're announcing his campaign on the podcast. There's, not, his enough, campaign there's not enough Xanax in the world <laughs> <laughs> to make me run for president. <laughs> uh, uh, so one case that I've really been itching to talk to you all about um, uh, was this uh, was Ricardo <sighs> Lopez and uh, his uh, his stalking of Bjork. Mm. I first came across. Um, this story through the Sword and Scale podcast. You know how I love to start drama oh. with other podcasts. <laughs> um, <they're... laughs> but their uh, their coverage of it was sort of typical for that podcast, where it was very sensationalized and very focused on like how scary and weird. Doesn't that uh, just Ricardo make Lopez your blood is. boil? Oh, <laughs> oh my yeah. god! I've already screamed about this yeah. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Isn't isn't it so infuriating that this person is very mentally like, ill? Yeah. yeah, he very much he very much takes that tack. So um, so to give uh, the audience the the details, uh, Ricardo Lopez was really obsessed uh, with just a just a guy who um, was really really into Bjork's music, which so am I. Like so far so good. Um, but for the better part of 1996, he documented his obsession with her, uh, as well as his plan to murder her through a series of video mm-hmm. diaries that police found after um, after he committed suicide. Um, you mentioned in your episode about stalking that a lot of times when stalkers are obsessed with uh, their victims that they're obsessed with, their victim will do something that for them is an inciting incident where they decide, now I have to take action. And for Ricardo Lopez, that was Bjork dating a British musician named Goldie. And uh, Goldie's black. And um, Ricardo Lopez had some, it seems like racism may have been part of his delusion. I don't, I don't know, obviously. Um, but he took a lot of issue with that. And that's when he started building a bomb. So he uh, hollowed out a, bu- a book and... Um, made what authorities said was a pretty good bomb um, where it was basically um, it was set up so that when you open the book, it would spray acid. Jesus. Um, and his, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so he sent this bomb and then went and uh, committed suicide. And then authorities actually discovered his, uh, his body and watched the videos and found out this plot. And they were able to inform Scotland Yard, because uh, Bjork was in England, um, they were able to inform Scotland Yard and they intercepted the bomb and safely detonated it without it ever getting to, uh, without it ever getting to Bjork. 
So um, that was uh, that brought up some what I thought were some interesting points about um, how suicidality mm-hmm. plays out in a lot of uh, a lot of stalkers because it just seems like to me it's like why is he doing this to himself before he even knows if his plan worked right like he never knew that it didn't actually happen so it's just so hard to wrap your mind around what uh what is going on there and i wondered if you all Uh, i just want to talk about you know the sort of precipitating event that um you kind of alluded to that we talked about also in the rebecca schaefer case that once she of what he had visual girl next door he became mm-hmm. enraged yeah. and that really seemed to be right she was she was in a yeah, sex not, scene not that perturbed him right and you know something she, like that he, what did he say she was a hollywood whore okay. after that just kind of typical um you know had had gone away and and that was not in alignment with how her so um i i found and that's my oh, nickname, is? by oh. the way. Well, that was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I saw similar veins with this, with the Bjork case. Um, and when we're looking at violence and threat assessment, be one of those. It, unfortunately, sometimes it's done kind of in the psychological autopsy when we're looking back at it is what was the trigger here. Um, because it is always a buildup. Um, there is just one thing that sets people off and there's a lot of thought that goes into all of the, the bomb making skills that this man had to acquire. Yeah, I, there is definitely a lot of similar risk factors between ideation and someone is sitting in front of me and I'm doing a suicide risk assessment. I'm also tapping into some of these homicidal, you know, ideas as well, because they can overlap. Um, For him, maybe he was like, Hey, they're going to be able to trace this back to me, obviously, or I can't live in a world that she's not in. And I've decided to take her life. Um, So I could see it. But yeah. um, Okay. Yeah. There's, there's also risk. Because in, in, in psychology, under the umbrella of violence, we have homicidality and then suicidality. So those, those are very closely linked. And, and what we know, like Shiloh said in one of our recent episodes um, that is so spot on, is that, you know, we, we think that we're good. We like to think as psychologists that we're really good at completely understanding the spectrum of human behavior and the reality is, is that we're, we're good in some areas and we're good contextually, but we don't necessarily, like, we'll never know what was going through his mind. We'll never know the disorganization of the thought yeah. process mm-hmm. and the conversations he was having with her on a delusional level. And, and what was the sequelae? Well, because she responded back to me or didn't respond back to me in this way, then I'm going to act in this way. What we know is the end result. And we have to be really careful about making generalizations about about people with schizophrenia. You know, because of the good medications today, there are people that are more and more high functioning and do great and are able to have almost pretty normal lives, even with a real diagnosis of schizophrenia. You know, this guy looked I I couldn't help but think 
how isolated he was. I mean, you look at those photos within that apartment and he, apparently he wasn't leaving for months at a time. You know, he was morbidly obese yeah, with yeah. the kind of camastia. You know, he was doing things that like, if I'm, right. if I, uh, if I could just tell tell the tell our listeners, gynecomastia is when men have uh in have more breast tissue. Right, it's just a, a hormonal imbalance. Like they have mm-hmm. that, they have one version yeah. of estrogen that we all have in our systems, but it might be exerting too much. Now, another thing that they don't talk about mm-hmm. in the articles is the gynecomastia can be a side effect of antipsychotic medications in some men. So it it may very well be that he had been on really hardcore antipsychotics for years and developed this. And a lot of other side effects are lethargy and weight gain and hormonal imbalances. So, yeah. Yeah, that's something that he talked about. He also left behind like 800 pages of journals. Mm -hmm. uh, And he talks about how awkward he felt around girls. And especially, like, shame about the size of his body, which seems, you know, obviously to have played a yeah. part. It's th- that's a tragic one, especially I didn't realize until, you know, we coll- started the collaboration. I, I had knew it superficially and then went and did a deep dive on, you know, there's, there's photos of, of the scene where they found his body. And, you know, the, they had not found him for days. So he was really pretty badly yeah. decomposed. And he had engaged in some very odd yeah. things of, you know, painting his face, you know, mm-hmm. there, so there was, it seems like there were some like uh, delusional, you know, body dysmorphia is a delusion as well. So yeah. there were some things going on as, about his appearance mm-hmm. that I think were a drive and then, you know, it built up and he got triggered. And also, I mean, we, I've talked about this. I don't talk about it so much anymore because Shiloh reaches over and slaps me, but <laughs> when we're doing, <laughs> when we're doing risk assessments, and we look at the element of both suicidality and homicidality, if there's fluidity between those two states, that is incredibly dangerous. Like that is, it's a marker of school shooters, of mass shooters. Like if we can, if we can understand, if we can get that kind of information on what a person's, person's internal state is, that's a big red flag for violence is coming. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, I'm shaking to That's why we're core. here. I'm like, uh, I, also I wanted to. <laughs> After this, we're going to have a therapy session uh, with them where we really just. Yeah, <laughs> we really. Um, but I thought I thought that this was a, a beautiful uh, side note that Bjork said uh, after she found after she heard the news, she said that she cried for him and was very upset over his death. And Marie Claire reported that she also sent flowers to oh. his family. Bjork. I also read that um, I don't I don't know if they know exactly how uh, how he find uh, her, how he found her address. But I saw ABC uh, in an article from ABC that they said such addresses are available yeah. for as little as $5 from celebrity wow. services, which give away personal details for money. And maybe this is a question for um, if we were to ever do a collab from our other podcast friends over at Getting Off. That's a great question. But I just don't understand how that's how? legal. How is that legal? I actually... I called my dad about this. Um, he's a lawyer, and I asked him if he knew. And um, I did find something on the uh, digital. What was it called? Digital Media Law Project, 
that there is a legal claim known as the publication of private facts, which is part of the invasion of privacy, supposedly. Um, but that that might be maybe that would be considered part of that. But in order to prove a legal claim, you would have to uh, state you would have to show that the information about their address wasn't legitimately newsworthy. I don't really know how that would work. I ran that by my dad and he said that he thought that mm-hmm. sounded spurious. So I, I, I also wasn't able to find a lot. Company and we have wow. a huge issue with it being you know, former law enforcement officer myself and in my family where this are just hey here's a google earth picture of this cop's house you know it's it's very problematic um and there are some avenues and some companies that will help you sort of push that down on the google um for a fee of course um but you can find Mm -hmm. have money go through legitimate pay tons and tons of information that is just the public record system wow yeah yeah my dad was telling me that um a way to get around this is some people will form an llc just to buy property so that way their name isn't attached to the and you know you were talking about taylor swift earlier with the multiple apartments that's actually a really smart move you know if you've got millions of dollars buy a bunch of properties, rent out some of them and just keep moving around. But, you know, that's another thing that, that we should really touch on is I, you know, because of the agency I work with, we're constantly consulting about celebrities from A to Z level celebrities. And, you know, and I mean, I shouldn't say Z, but let's say, you know, like Kathy Griffin used to call herself on the D list you know, but you think about people that are yeah, influencers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are people like we live in a world now where social media has to play a part of a successful celebrity career. I mean, there's no other way around it. Mm. And I yeah. don't think that people understand when they're getting into this. Like, I want to be a performer. I want to mm. be an actor. But do you really understand what you have the potential of giving up? I mean, I remember when, because we have a local station here in Southern California, Channel 5, KTLA. And it's sort of like our, it's your family. If you live in Southern California, you, you turn on KTLA in the morning. It's the friendliest news crew. They've been around forever. And they're always, for years, I mean, for decades, they've always helped up and coming music performers like Michael Bublé got his start on KTLA singing in the morning. I remember Taylor Swift was there with her curly hair and stooped shoulders playing her guitar, you know, singing country songs. (laughs) And who knew that, you know, 18 years later, she would be like this enormous star having to deal with these very real threats. And, and Katie, you understand, like you, you know, like you were saying, you've experienced this kind of I stuff, right? I thought you were right? going to tell a whole... Yeah. Story. Yeah, it was something that you guys... A whole different story. Oh. <laughs> What's that? A um, inside sort of story. Tell some whole other story about KTLA. And- <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> oh, do they have a weird thing? Oh. Okay. <laughs> Oh, that one. Oh, that one. That we'll post it, it on oh. our Twitter. Oh. 
Ooh. Are they are no. they a well, cult? Are they well. a cult of perverts? <laughs> oh, okay. We'll post well, about Yeah, them. that's always yeah. what it is. It's, it was a shocking. <laughs> it was a shocking. That's was always a yeah. what ahead, it I is. I completely oh, forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say what something you said in your stalker episode and kind of what Molly talked about earlier with Taylor Swift is like, you know, she purchased this, you know, bandage army grade level. I remember when I was like in the throes of like my, being harassed and stalked, like I bought four things of mace, like the highest level of mace I could find that was like legal. I, you know, my friend's dad, who's like the chief of police, because I'm from New Jersey, I always have a friend whose dad is some sort of chief of police, like calling me and checking up on how I wanted to like handle and it really changes your like, you just don't feel safe, which is like the saddest, scariest thing is like, I'm sure Molly remembers, I would call her panic. And I'm not really like that. I mean, I would call her panicked, crying, just because I saw that he tried to call me on my blocking, you know, app, like let it through. And just like, it really, yeah. And we had barely dated as a side note. I mean, this really was like a very month long relationship that turned into 12 months of stalking, um, which was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And what was, what was so interesting? Cause like I mm-hmm. met him, I was like, you know, in the mix when she was going out with him and what was so sort of, interesting about him from what uh i think dr scott would call a characterological <laughs> assessment is that uh he it's my favorite word it's now, great characterological um whenever someone like leaves a dish out i'm like that's a characterological Excellent you take that hard notepad um, uh, yeah yeah but um, but yeah, he um, he just seemed very sort of he was sort of goofy and was like he would text you all the time. He was always sending you messages, always sending you little snippets. And it was all stuff that like you could see it through that other lens of like right. this is just cute, um, you know, first uh, first flush totally. romance type of stuff. Um, and it was just so creepy to watch it turn into this like to being like cutely obsessed yeah. to being like really terrifyingly like wouldn't leave her alone like i remember i was going to say that's when it started and like you looked at your phone yeah i had like 80 yeah, and you had, yeah, like, I had 80 missed calls missed in like the course of like a day and i had already told him like you know you really so to our listeners keep an eye for these sorts of things i had like told him multiple times to like already just that day leave me alone and then i remember getting dropped off molly drove us home from the beach and she like was the boys that we were with were like, okay, we're going to watch you go in. And I genuinely was like, make sure I get inside. Like I was, and he's like, you know, when you think about it, and I remember feeling a lot of like shame surrounding having even gotten involved with someone so creepy. And he ended up sending me, I mean, really explicit videos, like very, like very uh, upsetting voicemails, like all of which I've saved and like have talked to the police about through my friend's dad and which you absolutely should do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, it really is something. It really can be anybody. And that was just like someone I met through a friend, a friend set us up. Like that was a friend's friend, which is the, almost some would say the safest way to meet somebody in this town. Perspective of these behaviors is what is so unique about stalking because like Molly was saying, you know, some of this little bits and pieces cannot seem that upsetting or dangerous. 
but it's how you're interpreting it and how it feels to you and how it starts to shape your behavior. You feel so, you know, disempowered. It yeah, changes your so worldview. Out of control. That, yeah, totally. Oh my God, I have to buy the best mace just to get some sense of control back in her life. And that, mm-hmm. that's what's so terrible about it. And what's hard for other people to, to empathize with it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah. I never was willing to see it from yeah. his side because I was like, fuck this fucking loser. And I mean it um, yeah. because I'm not a doctor <laughs> and I can say that. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's you're 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 absolutely allowed and entitled to whatever your emotional experience is. I mean, it's that there's I have no doubt about that, including extreme anger. And as you know, as a woman like I, you know, we've talked about this a couple of times, but the idea it's only our our society is only now starting to understand that we need to stop telling young boys that it's okay to keep asking a girl out yes. or keep asking for attention. But, you know, that was, that was the, the cultural norm for generations totally. of like, if you just show her how much you love her, how much, how much you really she'll like come her, around. she'll come around. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's, that's and also bad. teaching girls, you know, teaching women, which I don't think I was actively taught, but during this like sort of harassment, I realized like to be polite. Like I remember sort of even placating him in the beginning because I was so nervous. I was like, oh, you know, maybe one day we'll hang out again. Like I've seen my emails back to him because I had to reference them when I was talking to the cop. And I remember feeling just like, God, why did, you know, it's like you think it's obviously not my fault, but you think like, fuck, why were we ever taught we have to be nice or like, but also it's a defense mechanism too. I was, it's a survival thing. You're, you don't know what this person's going to do and you think right. being nice well, might help. But, right. you know. but I mean, you're also, we're also talking about, we, we also can't, <laughs> well, I was going to say, we can't go through our life just being assholes 24 hours a day. Right. Although I have plenty of people that I, I do. Molly do would that. say otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> It's working out great for 31 years. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, hindsight is 2020, Katie. So you're, you Mm -hmm. know, you're questioning what you did. And it's, you know, I mean, it's also this, like, we, we also have like this huge gray area between people that are on the far end of the spectrum that are delusional or have some sort of emotional challenge or mental illness. And then people that are just quirky, you know, so it's, it's hard. We have to, totally sift totally. through those people all the time. You know, I, I had a, a colleague, I was, I, I talked yeah. in our episode, I was stalked by two women when I was a, a dancer at Disneyland. And yes, I love it this story so, weird. so I mean, much. Like, now, I mean, like at the time I thought it was funny yeah. and weird and, you know, and I, thankfully I was prepared for it by the staff. There were several of us that were taken aside and say, you, we were told you meet a right. And said, you it guys are the hottest. Well, Look out. It, it was, You're too hot for was, your own good. It was about We're police. We're look. telling we you this. We all looked like little, you know, all-American kids. And, <laughs> um, and that was, you know, they had, you know, because they had been dealing with this for years, they knew what to prepare us for. But, like, to see that this these two women had hundreds of photos of me with my partner cut out of it, it was it was bizarre, but I mean that it, that faded away. Like they somehow got my mailing address. They sent cards, 
my friend Chris, um, who used to be a casting director when I was still in casting, and this guy was like, he could have been like a world famous model. He was a really, really good looking kid. And he was when we and this was years before I got into to this field and I didn't really have a big understanding. I'd had my little, you know, incident at Disney. But Chris, like when he was a sophomore at UCLA, I, this was, you know, pre-computer. So you go and you sign up for your classes physically and there'd be hundreds of people in a line and, a, you know, a proctor at the table. So his sophomore year, he was being a proctor, signing people up. And some guy stepped up and he said, I remember making eye contact with him and realizing something switched in him really quick. So the guy got up to the table, made eye contact with Chris. And from then on, it was a downhill, like breaking into his apartment, climbing the exterior wall, three stories to climb into his um, balcony door. I mean, it was terrifying. And this was like a guy that's built like a linebacker and six foot three. And he was scared out of his mind. Yeah. This episode has made me so grateful that I just look like a Smurf, you know? I I stalk you. (laughs) I would totally stalk you. How do you (laughs) stalk Um, you? Oh, stop. Oh, 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 you guys. (laughs) I I have a bookmark in that episode Um, where one of you talks about God, was it too many edibles one night? Oh, Molly has too much gum. Oh, the gum. <laughs> oh, my God. I hate that. The I gum. love that story so much. It is an amazing story, but I was very mad at her. <laughs> that, that was, was our, our Rachel Hollis, Rachel episode. Hollis yeah. episode, for those of you who don't remember. <laughs> I had smoked a lot of weed and it had made me chew a lot of gum which gave me terrible diarrhea Uh, uh. (laughs) very very good good. (laughs) that's the molly kendrick story (laughs) i'm ready to be an influencer Um, but yeah, yeah, your episode and then this episode has done what I didn't think uh, anyone could do, which is like, it really made me feel sorry for people who <laughs> are you. extraordinarily yes. good looking and celebrities. Thank you, Molly. I've been waiting for you to <laughs> say this. But you know, but there's also some differentiation well, just to, <laughs> to make sure we, we reiterate this is that there's a difference between what Dr. Shiloh mm-hmm. was really doing a deep dive on our episode about intimate partner violence. You know, that's not, if we, it's not yeah. typical mental illness, you know, someone that tends to engage in those behaviors certainly has some character logical issues. And usually mm-hmm. it's things like um, a real sort of uh, adherence to a machismo lifestyle or a machismo worldview of I'm a man I'm allowed and entitled to these kind of behaviors and this woman belongs to me. And that's very different from someone who, you know, shows up on Leonardo DiCaprio's dad's front porch saying, I'm here for Easter dinner. You know, right. where, where's, where's my husband, Leo? You right. know, those are, those yeah. are two different things. They're equally at, and they each have yeah. the potential for a high level of, of danger. But, um, right. but you know, the, what, what a person who's at the, the, um, the receiving end of stalking by a partner 
you know, that's, that's a whole different thing. And, and that, that stalker, even though they may feel they're entitled to it, they know what they're doing is wrong. I, I, at yes. least that's, yeah. that's my <laughs> take on Shiloh. What do you think? The most common, yeah. you know, scenario is definitely that and deserves, deserves mm-hmm. to be talked about, you know, almost separately from this because they are so different and unique. So I agree. <laughs> yeah, the guy. Yeah, Katie's situation Mm-mm. is like he wasn't delusional. He oh, was really? spoiled, spoiled little, little fucking brat. So did his stuff like, get violent? Did he start threatening violence, yeah. or was it like really nasty stuff no. that he would say about you? It was like, yeah, I mean, definitely calling. Well, I also during the time I was seeing him was like getting back with my ex, who I'm now with again. Um, and I just wasn't exclusive with anybody. And I think, you know, he didn't understand that and calling me names. Then he would send me, I don't even mind saying this, videos of him jerking off on the subway to tell me that on the subways of New York City to be like, look at what you're making me do. Both his parents are doctors. Whoa, 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 he was whoa, very, whoa, very whoa, wealthy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up. <laughs> yeah. Back up. I just want to, I want some clarity. Okay. He was, yes. you got the videos while you were on the subway or he was jerking off on the subway? He was on the subway jerking off. Wow. Oops, sorry, I just really slammed my you. foot down. Look yeah, yeah. he was like, I love her. I'm going to show you. The, the... <laughs> yeah, no, I can't. Because of this. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, no, he was just like, yeah. it's like Molly said, there was something yeah. that was so spoiled you could tell he knew it was wrong like he would I mean there was like there was no look I'm not a doctor as we've said a hundred times and as Molly has told me but there was it was just very obvious that he was doing this to get something arise out of me or to make Andrew my boyfriend call him like and I was sort of um you know there was time Molly even called him for me because most people in my life were getting annoyed you know by him I mean she's one of literally I think 10 people who had called him just been like you need to fucking stop but then obviously you know that's what he liked I think I mean it's hard to say but he definitely liked that it was affecting me in some way and it turned out best when I just stopped talking to him and then when I went to the police was sort of when this really right so what what happens what what it sounds like you're talking about happened is that when there's a thing we we teach people like when someone comes to me in private practice and they have um, a really rough time with someone in their life who's like uh, has borderline personality disorder or mm-hmm. is antisocial. We teach them what's called the gray rock technique and gray rock basically means make yourself as boring and non-reactive as possible so that you give no feedback to them to mm. react against. And so in that moment, what probably what wasn't helpful was mm. having other people I mean, you were, you were doing the thing because you wanted to protect your friend. I totally get that. But the best thing in the, these, these cases is just stop any interaction at all. Totally. Make yourself invisible. Get out of the situation. And they will find someone else to glom oh, onto. Yeah. I think that's exactly what ended up happening. And I, uh, yeah, the gray rot, I like that. I've never heard of that. It's very hard for this very fiery Italian woman to do. Me, not Molly. Um, so well, I know. I, I, spa- I sparkle as well. So it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, me. there's something in me that really uh, sparkles, <laughs> that uh, violent feeling towards that man. <laughs> Don't arrest me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, as soon as yeah. as soon as I called him, yeah, I yeah, yeah. made a terrible mistake. <laughs> Um, and yeah, it was clearly like, oh, right. and then he, or no, I didn't call him. I texted him. And then as soon as I did that, yeah, but, like, but what you were, and I was like, oh. right. But what you were doing in that moment, <laughs> no, I'm in that moment, you were thinking very rationally and very reasonably. Like if you were to call me and go, Hey Scott, mm-hmm. you know, could you back off Shiloh a little bit? She's having a hard time. And I would go, Oh God, I'm being a terrible friend. <laughs> like, of, of course I'll do that. But they don't, a lot of these yeah. guys and like, whether or not, um, mm-hmm. Katie, your guy, or you're not your guy, this, this guy <laughs> was, um, you know, fit some sort of mental illness diagnosis. What he does have is he has this entitlement issue of, I get to do what I want when I want it. And oh yeah, even reason doesn't work with that. You just have to remove yourself from it. But like you did, totally. you know, when you care about your friends, you want to do what you can to take mm-hmm. care of them. But we should all be pretty discerning about situations like that, about whether or not we're pouring gasoline on a fire. Totally. I, like I think toddlers. we learned our lesson. Yeah. We should all be I'm great. pointing at Molly. Toddlers. Yeah. <laughs> don't, if you don't react to it. Totally. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. They get over it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we've given our listeners You're some great welcome. advice. You're welcome. We don't listeners. always do this for you, but here you have it. Um, but yeah, thank Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, thank you all so much for coming on. We really appreciate your time. You're both very busy and you're both very important. <laughs> Truly. Uh, beautiful. I'm honestly rock. blown away no emotionally and physically. oh it's you know i'm we're we are we are huge fans and we're always like oh my god did you listen to what they said got a smile that can light up this whole town i haven't seen it in a while cause she holds me down i said i'm fine you know me better than that why did i fall for a girl like that she wears high heels you wear sneakers she's cheer catching a you're on the bleachers dreaming about the 